One of the most well-loved and heavily used pieces of furniture in the Rody household is our dining room table. Now, when my wife Haley and I got this table, we tried to keep it somewhat nice. Then we started using it. And then we had kids, and our, our kids started using the table. For a while, I'd find myself getting frustrated or angry every time it would come up with a, a new scratch or smudge or a, a nick. But then I realized each of those marks had a story. It's not just where we eat, it's where we gather as a family to laugh and to plan, to have difficult conversations, to share traditions, and to make new ones. During this, this COVID season, when we've spent more time in our home, it's been an office, a classroom Zoom desk, a puzzling table. And early on, when we were recording each and every worship service from our, our home, it was the communion table. Tables are supposed to be used. That's why they're made. And they're often the place where meaningful community is created and identity is formed. Leonard Sweet uh, authored a book that's inspired a lot of where we're going in this series. And he has a simple but profound line about the place that tables have in our life together as a church. He writes this. The story of Christianity didn't take shape behind pulpits or on, altar, on altars or in books. No, the story of Christianity takes shape around tables as people face one another as equals, telling stories, sharing memories, enjoying good food with one another. He, he goes on to summarize the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament, and, and he says they could be summarized this way. They tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. And then the New Testament. I love you. I forgive you. Let's eat. The bookends of Scripture start in Genesis with God inviting Adam and Eve to eat freely from the garden. And then it ends with an invitation in Revelation chapter 22 for all who are thirsty to come and to drink from the water of life. And between those two bookends, there's a lot that happens around tables or a lot that happens around food. From important conversations to celebrations to life lessons that Jesus taught his earliest followers. Now, we often think of, of faith development through the church happening through programs, things like Sunday school or, or book studies or, or Bible studies, all things that are very, very important. Now, it's the same place that the religious people of Jesus' day often placed their attention, studying the laws, the tablets, and the scrolls, the rituals of faith. But Jesus, he focused on sharing stories, creating memories, which often happen around food, around tables. So my guess is that most of us can't remember the five best sermons that we've heard in this last year, but I am guessing that we can remember a, a memorable meal or two. Our second scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Matthew, and it draws our attention to the communion table. It, Jesus, Jesus often showed up to meals as a guest, coming to a, a wedding banquet, being invited to a wedding banquet, or into someone's house for dinner. But, but this time, in Matthew 26, even as he steps into someone's house, he becomes the host. He acts as the host. It's why every time that we celebrate communion with one another, we say that we're gathering 
at the Lord's table. So starting at Matthew 26, verse 17. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and they began to to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the son of man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who had betrayed him, said, surely you don't mean me, rabbi. And Jesus answered, you have said so. It, it was a tense moment. They're, they're sitting around the table and the disciples are asking questions. And, and Jesus says, one of you is going to turn your back on me. And most of them look at each other and say, Lord, not, not me, not, not him, not who. And Judas knew. Judas knows he's the one and he echoes the others with one small difference that Matthew highlights. Instead of saying, Lord, was it, it wasn't me, he says, Rabbi or, or teacher, surely not me. Judas is invited to the table, he's sitting there, but he doesn't necessarily see Jesus the same way the others do. Teacher instead of Lord. Now we don't know if he's being intentionally dishonest or if he's trying to reassure himself, knowing full well that he's made a mistake, but we do know that he's there that he's at the table with the others. Matthew continues, starting at verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives, a a place where, where Jesus often took them to unpack his teachings or significant events. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I don't remember the first time that I celebrated communion. Some of you might. Some of you probably do. Maybe you grew up in, in, in the Catholic tradition or, or you didn't start going to church until you were a bit older, a bit later in life. But in our, our faith tradition, in the Presbyterian Church, it, it's really up to the parents. And, and hopefully church leaders are having conversations with families and pastors are available for questions and, and all of those sorts of things. So the, the reality is, if, if any of you 
kids or, or parents, if you want to have conversations about communion, I'm more than willing to sit down and have a chat, but ultimately it's, it's, it's up to you. As a kid, I remember being confused by, by communion, being confused by it all. The wafers we used, they looked more like styrofoam than bread. The, the little cups that we used, they were, they were small enough to really be a, a toy. We, we talk about celebrating the Lord's Supper, but, but most of the time it didn't seem like much of a party at all. Everyone was, was kind of quiet. Usually they, they just sat in the pew and, and kept to themselves. So it was confusing, and that's before you even get to the whole body and blood of Jesus thing. But, but I think I'm, I'm really in, in, in good company with my early confusion. Jesus' first followers had to be confused as they, they came with him and sat down at the Passover meal that night. This wasn't the first time they had celebrated Passover. And they all knew that, that the holiday, what it meant, they all knew what it was about, so they wouldn't have been caught off guard when Jesus sent some of them into the city to find a place for them to gather around the table. Now, historically, the custom of Passover was you would bring a lamb to the temple courts to be slaughtered early in the afternoon. A set of rituals would be followed by the clergy, and the remaining meat would be sent home to be roasted with, with bitter herbs and celebrated with your family and friends. So as families celebrated in homes, they, they would share blessings. They would say prayers of thanksgiving. Psalms would be read. And the story of Exodus would be passed down from one generation to the next. Now, it's not a, a stretch at all to say that some of those early Passover traditions mirror some of the traditions that we have around Thanksgiving with, with traditional food from, from our culture and, and stories that are, are passed down. Jesus' disciples, they, they grew up with these traditions. And outside of Jesus knowing himself what was coming, and Judas knowing what he had done, it probably seemed like a normal meal that year. And then as it concluded, Jesus broke bread and, and poured wine. He, he shared some new words that were as defining for his first followers as they are for, for you and me today. Our identity as Christians is formed around the Lord's table. And, and for most of us, that formation begins before we can even begin to, to talk about or explain the significance of the meal. For some of us, that's really the, the big hurdle with communion, the big struggle. If, if we can't understand it, then, then we can't really fully appreciate it. Now, if you are in that place, you're not alone. And what I'm about to say is either going to help you feel freed from where you sit or it's just going to frustrate you even more. From the early church father, fathers to the, the reformers to today's pastors and, and scholars, theologians have dedicated their entire lives. Some theologians have dedicated their entire lifetimes trying to figure out exactly what happens around communion. And an oversimplified summary would be that, that each answer that's given is incomplete. John Calvin, he finally got to this place where he was trying to, to describe it all, and he just said, you know what, it's a mystery. And he acknowledged that God is present every time communion is shared, even if we can't understand how. Now, it might be helpful to think of a, a few arrows or, or uh, directions when it comes to 
thinking through how communion shapes who we are, how communion shapes our identity. The Lord's Supper, it, it points downward as God's gift to us through his Son. It, it points backward to, to Jesus' victory over death. It points forward with Jesus' assurance that he will drink the cup with us again in his Father's kingdom. It points upward as Christ who reigns over us is the host of the meal. It points outward as it's a, a, a gift that's offered to the entire world. And it points inward as the disciples, including Judas, do a bit of soul searching. They, they ask, is it I, Lord? It points inward. The invitation to the Lord's table is an invitation to step into this multi-directional mystery. It's an invitation to be shaped by something that we don't fully understand. And at the same time, it's an invitation to create memories, to share story, to be a, a part of a community that extends beyond time and across the entire globe. The Lord's table is the place where we bring our worries, our doubts, our conflict, our shared and personal history, our joy and sorrow, and we bring it all and we, we set it all down right next to what everyone else brings. And then, whether it's with a, a stale cracker and cheap juice or the best bread and wine you've ever had, we remember who Jesus is. And, and we remember what the meal means for our identity. Come, let's meet at the table.